0: I'm constantly looking for the tapestry within a religion, and I think that if everybody else looked for the tapestry within religion as well and asked questions to people who actually practice those religions, we would make so many strides as a country. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode
1: 80 The Clunky Oars, a beacon series conversation featuring Greg Soden of the Classical Ideas Podcast. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. It wasn't long after I started listening to podcasts that I got the bug to produce one, the one you're listening to right now. Over this past year of producing and listening, I've learned a lot, whether they know it or not, many of the hosts and producers of my favorite podcasts have been unwitting instructors. Long before the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic, I had an opportunity to visit with the gracious host and producer of one such show, The Classical Ideas Podcast. I don't know how you discover new podcasts, but typically I find new shows when I search for specific topics. And the day that I landed on Greg Soden's show, I was searching for conversations about one of my favorite wisdom books, the Tao Te Ching. As it turns out, it's one of Greg's favorite books as well. I listened to that episode, and then another, and then another, and before long, I was a devoted listener, subscriber, and Patreon supporter. Through the course of Greg's show, I feel like I got to know him and his interests as he would interview his diverse range of guests across the spectrum of religion and philosophy. It's strange how that happens how in the course of interviewing others, there's a transference of small details that accumulate over time, creating a wonderfully rich portrait of the host. That's how I came to learn many of the details of Greg Soden's journey to the Classical Ideas podcast, which was born during his time as the language arts and religious studies teacher in Columbia, Missouri. Greg is now a teacher and assistant trainer for the University of Missouri College of Education's K-12 program, He is still bringing us new episodes of the Classical Ideas podcast where he shares his wide-spectrum conversations. He's brought us colorful and interesting interviews such as Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Ian Johnson and the daughters of famous Zen philosopher Alan Watts. The Classical Ideas podcast has brought us conversations about indigenous religion, Unitarian Universalism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, the Tao Te Ching, the Bhagavad Gita, St. Francis of Assisi, Evangelical Christianity, the Baha'i, Nordic studies, and many, many more. I felt that Greg and I had instant rapport, and I hope you will sense this during our visit. I'm grateful for his time and for the good work he is doing to help anyone seeking multicultural and interfaith knowledge to find it. I believe this with all my heart. This world will always need beings like Greg Soden. Now, it's time to tune your brainwaves to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear. The way it's going, cause laughing in your sleep. On the path to deliverance and a holy wall of light. Old news bad news, fake news, sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. I love you just well. I started realizing I wasn't bringing my my audience as it was growing. I realized I was going to kind of hit some fences, you know, with with my uh-huh. local guests. And I was like, you know, I really need to start reaching out to people, you know, further than Southwest Louisiana down here at the the mouth of the Gulf. You know, so
0: that's awesome. Well, and you know, what's so crazy is my show started local too. <clears throat> yeah, uh, and I can I don't have to tell you all about it. If you want to ask about it later on, that's fine. But all like my first 20 something guests were all in Missouri. Yeah. And so then I branched out after that because I sort of hit that same exact thing where I was like, what else is how how can I take this to another level? You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've really done a great job, man. I love your show. I kind of stumbled upon your show whenever I was listening to a podcast called Interfaith Voices. I don't know if you listen to that. Uh, yes, I've
0: listened to several. I know that Tahil Sharma has been on it. And he was on my show, and I, okay. I love his work. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that show kind of led me to yours, actually, by accident. I was – because y'all's title cards are similar. Mm-hmm. And I was looking through different podcasts one day, and I, I started – I clicked it thinking it was that one, and then it, yours yours started playing. I said, "Oh, I clicked the wrong thing." I was like, "Wait a second, what is this show?" You know, that's how yeah. it goes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this
0: yeah, is yeah. a great show. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. It's um, it's it's like the weirdest hobby ever because I find this show to be so much fun to do, um, but I also feel like I never really get feedback on it. So it's really uh, awesome to <clears throat> kind of hear when it does actually resonate because like nobody ever writes to me and says, Oh, this episode was awesome. Or this episode was terrible. Like I never hear anything. So I feel like I'm just putting these things out into a void a lot of the Man. time. And most, most I- of my, <laughs> most of my listeners are super busy, like professors and stuff. Sure. So like, they don't, they don't have the time to give me like detailed feedback, <clears throat> but, um, you know, it's nice to hear that it actually is getting listened to sometimes. Cause I'm like, Do people actually listen to it? It's it's one of those things.
1: No, I hear you, man. I go through the same thing. I mean, you can look at your numbers, but that's just so sterilized. You know, there's no personality. You don't know if it's affecting somebody's life. Like, I will be honest, listening to your show and and other shows like it, and I'm sure you're the same way, you learn these things that you can carry with you into your day-to-day. And I do find myself bringing up things I learn on your show, but I may not necessarily always reference your show. So you're not going to see that kind of feedback, you know? And so I get what you mean. I, exactly. I wonder the same thing, you know, is anybody now I do get messages and I'm sure you get some too. I get those messages from folks and usually the person who takes the time to communicate, those people are going to really give you like this sort of robust communication, you know, oh, this episode really hit my heart or it changed my life or it gave me a new outlook, whatever it may be. Those people who do do that are, they're rare, but they're valuable, mm. you know, they keep you going. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I have thought about stopping so many times. Really? Oh yeah. Um, and right now, like, uh, like I used to put out six episodes a month. Yeah. And right now I'm in a period where I'm only allowing myself to do two per month uh-huh. because I, I am so busy at work. Um, and I'm a dad and stuff and I've got a sure. dog with with cancer and oh like, gosh. so, so there's, there's so many things happening right now. So it's like right now I'm just trying to keep the show from dying. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. I've kind of went through
1: that too. Now your show has been out a lot longer than mine. My, I'm, I'm only on the other side of my first year, but I was kind of doing that too. I had this goal of, I was going to put it out every Wednesday, you know, at yeah. the same time. And I stuck to that for the first year. But what I realized, cause I, I like you, I have a, a job and then I have a family and I have all these other things that I, I have to be involved in. And I thought, you know, keeping a weekly show—well, <clears throat> first of all, it's a long show. I mean, I, most of my local shows—they could be two hours or more. Yeah, my people can't keep up with that, especially if you're not their favorite podcast. You exactly. Yeah. So.
0: Yep. yeah, and like, what will happen is, like, if I get—so the thing that I would like to know is if I, if I, if somebody downloads it, do they actually play it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I would almost rather get my play statistics instead of my download statistics in a lot of ways because like i i don't it doesn't really matter to me if somebody downloads the episode but never hits play on it you know what yeah, i mean
1: because you know i noticed that's interesting you brought that up i only just recently kind of realized what was going on because i noticed my iphone storage was full and i was like what is eating up all my storage well i looked and all these different podcast apps are just automatically downloading these episodes yep and so that data is kind of skewed You know, exactly. (laughs) It's just because
0: you get, yeah, just because you get a download doesn't mean you get a
1: play. Exactly. Now, I do put it on SoundCloud and I can see only plays on SoundCloud, but that those are a lot thinner than the host, you know, or these other aggregators, I guess would be the way to put it. I don't know. I'm still learning. I mean, every week I think I find some little new piece of information. It's such a, I heard somebody describe it as the Wild West of communication. I was like, that's a good description.
0: You you may I think you may have heard that on like may, do you like listen to New Books Network at all? Uh, no, but I will. I'll check it out. Okay, New Books Network. The the head of it's this amazing academic book podcast network where there is a book channel about almost any topic in academia that you can think of. Oh, so really, there's like new books in Buddhism, new books in environmental studies, new books in political science, new books in medicine. Wow, and it it's got like. Fifty different channels, um, and I think that the 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 creator of that network actually said something like that in several interviews. So that may be something that you're thinking of. Yeah, maybe so. It's, it's and you know it, it's one of those weird
1: uh, pass the baton pieces of lexicon that sort of emerges, yeah. you know, and you hear it, and then somebody else yeah, says yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, this is fun, yeah. and you know it's nice. I'm glad we jumped right in because my show. Uh, your show's nice and clean you have a nice uh, clean intro and I love that my show kind of wandered into this this habit of just jumping right in the conversation and getting I love going it. so that's kind of how I do my show I just like kind of fade right into the conversation and I've heard people say they like it so I just haven't broke that format that is totally cool with me <laughs> I have no problem with that whatsoever well since we since we did jump right in if you don't mind I'm gonna pull a page from your book and ask you to uh, introduce yourself and give the folks listening i I mean I, i even feel like i need an introduction because i really in all fairness i haven't listened to every single episode of your show i'm still pecking my way backwards uh you know, you have so much good content that what will happen is I'll begin working backwards, but then a new one will come out, and I'll jump back to the new one. You know, like right now I'm in the middle of mm-hmm. your most recent episode, so uh, uh, there's just so much I probably don't know about you. You know, because you you slowly reveal things about yourself as you interview
0: people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, my name is Greg Soden, and I am a teacher first and foremost, um, and a parent, but I also have this amazing hobby of podcasting. And so I've been a teacher since, I, I mean, I guess I started doing all like the student teaching uh, and field experiences that teachers have to do starting in like 2003, 2004. And I graduated with a teaching degree from the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. And I always, um, from a young age, like absolutely loved travel and adventures. And so while most of my teaching graduate colleagues were uh, looking for jobs on the I-70 corridor in Missouri, like between Kansas City, Columbia, and St. Louis, I went to an international teaching job fair, found a job teaching in Mexico. uh, And then from Mexico, I went to the suburbs of London in the UK, taught there. And then I did a master's in education at the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, Canada. Um, Before moving back to Missouri to pursue a Ph.D. at the University of Missouri in education, dropped out of the Ph.D. program after two years and some publications under my belt in favor of having a slightly more balanced life as a 10th and 12th grade English teacher at a brand new high school in Columbia, Missouri. I was on the founding faculty of a brand new school called Battle High School in Columbia. and there I taught English, I taught religious studies, um, and it was a really cool job. And then a few years back, my family had an opportunity um, where we moved up to Buffalo, New York. And now I teach uh, pretty much exclusively online. Uh, I teach for an online high school and I write curriculum and I teach online classes and it's a really awesome life. And I have the Project known as the Classical Ideas Podcast, which is um, closing in on 150 episodes, um, basically about the academic study of religion, religious literacy. How do we teach about religion? uh, How can I learn from people who practice different religions? How can I learn from researchers who make that their life's work? And that is sort of uh, me in a nutshell as far as like my academic history, career interests, and podcast interests. Thank you so much. Well, I learned a lot just from that right
1: there. I, I <laughs> you know, I started listening to your show primarily with because of my interest in religion and philosophy. You know, I, I live on the Gulf Coast, kind of the I-10 corridor, and it just runs along. You know, uh, from Texas, to Louisiana, you know, and just stays along the Gulf Coast. Uh, primarily, very conservative. Uh, I would consider it the Bible Belt. You know, that's what mm. you would people would describe that as. So, being getting exposed to other religions and philosophies is not something you grow up with if you want those things you have to seek that out and uh, the truth of the matter is is it's really difficult to build a network of like minded people that have that same interest in, in this area so when I Kind of started listening to podcasts. I said, you know, I I realized this. I'm kind of like getting to peek in on the conversation. I really loved that format that, you know, getting to sit at the table with folks who were having these kinds of conversations that I was highly interested in. And of course, that's how I landed on you. And I thought, wow, this is great. You know, this is a beautiful tool to be able to just reach out into anywhere in the world, really, and just Mm. sit down with people that you otherwise may have never encountered
0: yeah I mean I couldn't agree more and I mean so when I was teaching at my school in the middle of Missouri and I think that Missourians may contest your location of the Bible belts a little bit I think they uh. may say it's, <laughs> I think they may say it's southwestern Missouri uh. so that, that can be an interesting cultural uh, a, little, a little interesting cultural tidbit um, so when I was teaching at that school I was asked to teach a religions class And I was so into it immediately. And I mean, I knew that it was going to be just a major purpose for me to go to work every day. And so I dove right in. And the podcast actually started because I used to have like 20 to 25 guest speakers from all different religions come into my class and do Q&A with my students over the course of a school year. Okay. And so it was those were my my best days of teaching ever was actually when I was in a Q&A audience with my students talking to a Chabad rabbi or uh-huh. a former Zen or a former Zen monk or the founders of the local Hindu temple. Um, and those are like my best days of school. And. So then my parents, the parents of my students started saying, oh, my kid told me about this amazing conversation they have with the Catholic priest. And then with the all women's uh, Christianity panel discussion and so then we started thinking like, oh, can I record the conversations? And then my the administration told me that I couldn't record them because I had to get like signed releases for every person that was in the room just in case uh. their voice appeared on the recording. And so public school, I was like, okay, that's way too complicated. I don't have time for that. So I loved podcasts. And so I started thinking, well, maybe I'll record conversations with my guest speakers of just me and them so that when the person appears in my classroom, the kid gets the in-class Q&A, but the parent can listen to the podcast interview with the same guest speaker, and then they can talk about it over dinner, and then they can (laughs) shoot me an email saying what they talked about with their kid based on the different experiences with the same person. And then they can tell me what they talked about as a family, and I'll give the kid some extra credit in class. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I like that, man. The way that you you think, too, the way you didn't just go, oh, I'm going to make a podcast. I love that element, how you thought of the dynamic between the child getting. To do the Q and A and get the face to face, and then bring it home, and then the parent has an opportunity to interact with that information as well. And then it creates this dialogue between within the family, uh, and it and opens their mind and opens their eyes. And boy, that that's just wonderful that you well, took that approach.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking about. Um So like if you go back and listen to the very, very early episodes, like episode nine is about Jainism with my friend Nishant. And he and I are just sitting at his table in his apartment in Columbia, Missouri, talking about growing up as a Jain in India and then moving to the U.S. and then talking about what's interesting about being a Jain in the Midwest in the U.S. That's what the conversation is about. So he would come to school and he would talk to the students and then the parents would listen to me and me and him in the conversation. It was just awesome. Um. So like those early episodes are just me and local people. Creating a resource specifically for the parents of the students who are in my room, and that's that was my audience. It was just the parents. Yeah, and so it, that that is the original purpose of the of the entire podcast in, in general.
1: Wow, that that's incredible, and it, and it's grown out from there. I can see how that happened. Well, I love that story. Yeah, you know, no,
0: it was a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great origin to a podcast. I mean, you, the the uh, the nobleness of the goal, I guess. You know, you you your intent behind the whole thing, because. So many people look at podcasting and they go, oh, this is a, the new media. How can we monopolize this? Or how can we capitalize on it? Not monopolize. How can we make yeah. some money out of this? How can we, you know, be the new thing, you know, and get our message out there? But w- what you were doing was actually trying to create conversations on a very hyper local level.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, the show was never meant to be like a money thing. And I thought that I would get to be like, be like, Oh, maybe I'll do like 30 of these. So I really thought that I would get to about 30 episodes and then I would have what I needed. And I would just be like, okay, that was, that was a nice little project. And now I'm going to move on to something else. Yeah. Um, but now it's like almost, it's like 147 are out. And then I think I have like four or five bonus episodes. So there's actually more than 150 of them out there now. Um, and that's why it started. I mean, so it, it just kept going. Well, so, okay, that's awesome. I love that story.
1: I have some questions. You know, anytime somebody is interested in religion or philosophy and, and doing and spending the amount of time that you're spending in that realm, I'm always curious to know what brought you to that table.
0: Well, so, I mean, I grew up as a Catholic in St. Louis, Missouri. In like the late 80s and early 90s, and so I did like uh, Monday night PSR classes and um, confirmation classes and first communion and all that stuff. And so like the way that it was, I would like go to school all day at my normal school, and then I would go to class again on Monday nights. And so growing up, religion did not particularly interest me um there are some very devoted practitioners of Catholicism within my family uh I am not one of them and I mean I did I did it and it was like you know um a nice childhood and everything but I wasn't like particularly curious about religion growing up I mean I found like music um when (laughs) I was like 11 and that, to me, was way more of a religious experience <laughs> for me than right. going to church. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of meandered throughout it. But one of the major things that jumps out at me about religion and my interest in it is uh, when I was in college, I started uh, – I found the book Hardcore Zen by, yeah. by Brad Warner. And that came out, I think it was on Wisdom Publications. And the only thing I I found, the only reason I bought it was because I was into hardcore music, like, you know, Minor Threat and like Black Flag and like The Misfits and stuff like that. And so I saw hardcore on the front of a book, and it was like Zen. (laughs) I was like, oh man. So the title just punched me right in the face. So I bought that in the University of Missouri bookstore. Took it home, uh, read it, loved it, and then I kind of tried to meditate a few times in my room, in my apartment. Uh, I took some intro to religions classes at the University of Missouri, especially one on Hinduism, especially one on Chinese religions with a guy named Philip Clark, who now teaches in Germany. Um, And so those were really cool experiences for me, but I was not a particularly intellectual person in college because... I was a road cyclist. So like I was one of those annoying guys in like tight shorts, like riding bicycles (laughs) on the side of the road, trying not to die. Um, And that's what I did like all the time is I went to concerts. I went to class. I did my student teaching stuff and I rode my bike. And so um, the religion stuff was kind of there along the way. But it wasn't particularly until I lived in the UK and I had a large, large percentage of uh, immigrant students from all over the world Uh, and a ton of students from India, a ton of students from Pakistan, and a ton of students who came from very devout Muslim families that I was not reaching as a teacher and so um, I started exploring religion a little bit more, uh, particularly Islam, um, whenever I lived in the UK because I was, like, failing as a teacher. And so I felt like a, a professional duty to understand the cultures that my students were coming from a little sure. bit more. And that's kind of what kickstarted it all. Um. To, to get me to actually like read books about religion and to like find like awesome like YouTube videos about religion and documentaries and all kinds of stuff. So that was really kind of like the very meandering path of me becoming interested in religion. Um, and, you know, it all came from students in the classroom that I didn't understand them. They didn't understand me. And um, it was me trying to make my profession a – You know, me be me trying to be more effective in my profession.
1: Man, that's incredible. So yeah, you were trying to speak their language essentially and try to uh, communicate better, huh? I mean, that's kind of.
0: Yeah, essentially. I mean, everybody, every teacher goes into education because they care about young people. And if you find that you are just not connecting with certain facets of your student population, you either should quit teaching or you should try to get better. So I tried to get better because I didn't want to quit.
1: Yeah. You seem like you have a real eagerness to learn. Like you
0: just have a, you have a hunger for learning like new things. And Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I, I have tons of hobbies. Like I, I run erathons and half marathons. Um, I ride bikes a lot still. Um, I have way too many books in my house. I collect vinyl records. I play guitar. I play drums. Um, you know, I, 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 lo- I love cooking. I love cooking. So I, I just kind of have this feeling that um, every day you should just try to do things and that's kind of like the meaning of life to me um, is just like doing a new thing sort of like all the time and not really settling for stagnation, not really settling for like just like, oh, well, this is my life now. Oh, well, yeah, um, I try to just keep keep the mind ticking because I'm 36. And so like this is. I feel like I could either just stagnate for the rest of my life and into middle age and into old age and just kind of fall apart. Or I can just be like, all right, I'm going to be learning on my deathbed and that's just <laughs> the way it's going to be. So that's kind of the path that I've chosen for life.
1: Well, that's interesting. So we're about, I'm I'm about 10 years older than you. And I wish that I had said what you just said when I was 36 years old, you know, yeah. that's, that's incredible. That's good. If you can hang on to that. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. And it's, uh, it just, life continues to reveal new things whenever you have that curiosity, right? I mean, is curiosity a big driver for
0: you? Absolutely. I mean, I gave a TED Talk about, called Get Curious. um, Oh, okay. That was, I mean, you can find it on like the, I think it's on the Classical Ideas YouTube page. I think I uploaded it there. Um, But it was at a, uh, a local TEDx event that I gave a few years back. And absolutely, curiosity. I mean, if I think about like, why am I on this planet I I can't really sum it up any better than just curiosity. And so I think that just being a curious and open person to the ideas and the ways of the world has just been really rewarding for me so far. Um, I I like to think that uh, I don't have the answers to pretty much anything. Hmm, There you go. I feel feel like I don't really know anything for sure, and I'm just pretty much okay with that. Um, (laughs) If I go through the rest of my life and if I'm like, oh, well, I don't really know, I mean, that's okay with me. Um, I I kind of thrive on uncertainty a little bit, (laughs) um, and I'm just totally fine with it. Like I don't need – to have tons and tons of answers. I just like asking questions. Yeah, well, I like
1: that. So I've heard you bring it, dive into a whole nother avenue here. I've heard you mention the Tao Te Ching often on your show yeah. and you have lots of translations. And so you just, when you said what you just said, it kind of reminded me of the the verse where it says, I alone don't know, I alone don't care. My mind is empty. I'm like an idiot or something like to that effect,
0: you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And like, um, I actually love that book so much because there's no dates, there's no mm. people, there's no locations, there's no specific historical events. It is as vague and as personal as you want to make it. Yeah. <laughs> and you can read the Daugaging every single week of a of a year and something that is happening in your personal life will resonate differently when you read that book. And like, I'm not a Taoist. Like I, you know, I don't really know a lot about what people who are Taoist even do, but I know that I can read the Tao Te Jing at any given time on any given day. And it's going to speak to me in some way,
1: man, that's a good way to say that. I, I it's one of those lifetime books. I, I, it's one, I have a saying I've told many people, I said, you know, there's certain books in your life that when you read them, you actually remember where you were when you closed the, the cover. Yep. And that was one of those books I rem- I was driving through New Mexico and my father was driving and I had been reading it as we were driving just sort of <laughs> I call it the wasteland. There was just nothing mm. out there and uh it was really hitting me a certain way because of the landscape, you know. Yeah. And I finished it at a as we when we stopped at a gas station and I was sitting on the tailgate of the truck and just looking out, you know, at the road ahead of us and just the wind was blowing. And I just have that captured in this sort of bottle in my mind because that book was imprinting upon, just as you said, it was imprinting upon my life at the time when I'm 20 years old, you know. And so, just as you said, you read it today and it sort of imprints upon what's going on in in your life. It's vague enough. God, you said that perfectly. I'd never heard anybody say it. It's vague enough, but it's also very personal to what's going on at the moment.
0: Oh, my gosh. And I'm actually holding it in my hand right now. So I have my favorite translation that's always on my desk right to my right. It's in my bookshelf next to my desk. And I just pulled it up and I picked it up. And my favorite version is the one by Stephen Addis and Stanley Lombardo. And I've said that on my show so many times. I think everybody should buy this version. And on the front cover, the poet and Zen teacher Gary Snyder says, of the many translations I have read in English, this is unquestionably the best. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to
1: get a copy of that because I have heard you mention it.
0: Yeah, here oh, there it is. You go. Okay, um, I see it. The, the paperback version is out from Hackett. And the hardback version is out from Shambhala. And I've actually met Stanley Lombardo. Uh, I I did a Zen retreat with him in Lawrence, Kansas. And he's a uh, San Zen uh, master um, ordained by Sung San, who wrote The Compass of Zen. And he's a Zen teacher in Lawrence, Kansas. He's an emeritus professor over there, and he's a translator of amazing literature. Um, And I I got to sit with him for for two days and... um, you know, whenever that Gary Snyder quote jumped out at me at the bookstore, I was like, "This is the one I'm buying." Yeah, <laughs> and I've read so many Doughty and it's just so amazing. I love it, so I think everybody should buy that Addison Lombardo version. Well, I'm gonna have to do that. The version I,
1: and I guess it's because it's the first one I read, and I have a few different versions, but the one I always go back to is a Stephen Mitchell.
0: Oh yeah, for sure, classic. Yeah,
1: yeah I thought it was really, and kind I kind of at that time in my life after I read that. I kind of went down a Stephen Mitchell rabbit hole, you know. It was like I went and started buying all these different things he had translated because I guess I took that since that book spoke to me so much. There, his other you know translations must. I didn't quite have the same experience with all of them, but uh, that he did lead me down a path. I got to say, Stephen Mitchell is one of those. People that I got to look back on my life and go, yeah, if I wouldn't have went down that Stephen Mitchell hole, I may not have encountered all these other cultures and religious books because he had translated so many different things.
0: Yeah, my folks that are like that is so the guy who does the Indian translations, Eknoth Azoran. He's a big one for me. Uh, Brad Warner is a big one for me. Uh, Stanley Lombardo is a big one for me because he also did the Bhagavad Gita. He does a lot of Homer. He does a lot of Virgil. He did the Tao Te Ching. Um, he did Gilgamesh that I really love. So, um, yeah, I, I have those people, too. Yeah. I love it. And I'm happy. I know
1: it. I'm helpless. Sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I have something I need to tell you about. You may or may not know this, but this podcast is produced in the city of Sulphur, Louisiana, one of the sister cities that make up Southwest Louisiana. All of my childhood memories are wrapped up in the city of Sulphur. It's my home, and it's been a good home for most of my life. There is a growing diversity of unique businesses, services, and events in Sulphur, each with a rich and colorful story to tell about their particular place in this little jewel on the west side of the Calcasieu River. My mission is to promote good news, to put a positive signal out in the world. That's why my team at Parker Brand Creative Services has created the new brand, Sulphur Today. Here's how it works. Post your Sulphur event, service, photos, videos, or information using the hashtag, #SulfurToday. That's it. My team and I will scan and curate those posts through the social media platforms we've put in place. Before you make your post, just type hashtag. That's a pound sign for the folks that don't know what a hashtag is. In the words, sulfur today with no space. My team at Parker Brand is monitoring this tag right now and they're ready to create positive digital curb appeal for our city by sharing all the very best sulfur has to offer through the Sulfur Today social media pages. As the Sulfur Today project grows, we will be scheduling interviews and video sessions with businesses, events, and services so they can tell their story of Sulfur Today in a series of ongoing micro documentaries. Look for the eye-catching Sulfur Today sign when you're out and about and be ready. We may be stopping by to visit you for a photo op. And don't forget to stop by the Parker Brand Creative Services Studio in Sulphur to grab a Sulphur Today decal for your vehicle or business. We want people visiting our area to know that they can find all the wonderful things we have to offer with ease and be a part of our history by utilizing the Sulphur Today pages or by searching the Sulphur Today hashtag. Do you wanna help us tell the story of Sulphur Today? Here's what I need you to do right now visit and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash sulfur today and be sure to share positive sulfur information and post often using the hashtag sulfur today now back to find the good news So that's actually one of the questions I had sent you over, and I'm curious since we're talking about this. uh, I call it your deserted island books. You know, some people say music. What's your what's your album? You know, but and maybe we can talk about that, too. But uh, I'd love to know if you had to narrow it down to five books that you can just live with, what would they be?
0: So as far as books go, I have a lot. Um, I have a collection of authors that just really um, resonate with me and the biggest one is the Japanese novelist Haruki Murakami. And the book that I would recommend that everybody start with, with Murakami, is The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Um, and Murakami has an amazing array of of fantastic novels. Um, I've read pretty much all of them, except for his most recent one, Killing Commendatory. But I love Murakami. Um, and the thing that I love so much about Murakami's books is that I don't really know why I love them so much. Um, I can't articulate it. I've never been able to articulate it because a lot of his characters are immensely unlikable to me. Um, But for some reason, the writing is just so alluring that I can't look away while I'm reading it. Um, So he's just like imminently entertaining to me. Um, Yeah. The next one I would say is Margaret Atwood. Her Oryx and Crake trilogy um, is just amazing. And obviously The Handmaid's Tale. But um, her Oryx and Crake trilogy to me is the is number one. Um, I also love – let's see. <clears throat> I really love um, Barbara Kingsolver, The Poisonwood Bible. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I really liked her Lacuna, the book The Lacuna. I'm also a huge fan of the um, Indian graphic novel company Amar Chitra who does all the Bhagavad Gita, Ramayana um, graphic novel comic books um, that are like Hindu epics put into comic book form. And let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, I'm a huge fan of um, actually a guy who's a singer in a band uh, named Keith Buckley. Um, he lives here in Buffalo. And he's got some really fun novels that I love. So I am sort of giving you like the, um, digestible stuff that I really like. So (laughs) those are the the novels and the fiction and things like that, that I really enjoy. Um, I also love Marlon James, the guy who wrote the brief history of seven killings. That is an incredible book. And, uh, needy Okorafor who wrote who fears death, love her. Um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. So there's a ton of authors that I just absolutely love. Man, you you so you're reading all the time. You know, what's really funny is um, for a long time, I read almost constantly. And what's been really fascinating is my, my trend in reading. So these are all, all those authors that I just listed, I loved before I did the podcast. And so in the last like, a couple of years, I've almost exclusively read just as preparation for for podcast chats. And so my 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 reading is really messed up right now because I don't know if I've read a complete book <laughs> in I mean, I mean, maybe a few here and there, a few complete books over the years. But right now I feel like I'm just reading uh, as many chapters of like academic books as I can get through (sighs) and like journal articles and stuff. So my reading is really, really messed up right now. Um, but I absolutely love to read whenever I feel like I have the space to do it. But, um, I'm kind of like, uh,
1: I'm uh, struggling with reading at the moment. No, I understand that. I, I love to read as well. And I, I did that, too. When I was in my 20s, there was probably a decade there where I felt like I was reading every day. And then yeah. I went through this time period where I just kind of stopped altogether. I felt like I You ever feel like you just are saturated with so much information and you just go, OK, I need some time to process
0: everything I've already read before I move into some other direction. Absolutely. I mean, right now, like, so like, if I ever feel like I have to read fiction, but I know for a fact that I will fail in reading the entire book, I read the death of Ivan Ilyich by Leo Uh, Tolstoy because it, uh, uh, hold on. It's right here. It's, it's only like 55 pages long. (laughs) And so like I can read that book, uh, many, many, many times. So whenever I'm really craving some good fiction, I just get, Ivan Illich, and uh, it, it's it just kind of does the trick for me, and kind of soothes me whenever I feel like I'm struggling to read. That's interesting that you bring that book up. I don't think
1: about it as much as I used to, but that was in a, a lineup of, of books and in, in that time period where I was trying to figure out where I was spiritually, you know. Mm, and that yeah. was in that mix of books, and I still to this day, when I think of I, the the death of Ivan Illich, I think of it as a a spiritual book. I mean, it gets a perspective. It sets a perspective on on life, basically. You know, it's like, hey, you know, framing it against wasting it. Essentially, like what you said, don't waste your time here. You know, exactly. (laughs) It's interesting that you picked that one up.
0: Well, and Ivan Illich is is, uh, that book is funny to me and it's also tragic. So it's just tragic and hilarious all at once. And there's this guy just laying on the sofa, just dying. And everybody's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And. He's asking them to care, but he never cared for his entire life. So now he's asking people to care about him when he didn't care about them while he was healthy. And so it's just a there's just a, a massive life lesson just packed in there all oh, once yeah. in, 50, in 55 pages.
1: It's funny, man, that you that you said that. And I'm glad you told the listeners who haven't read it so they can understand what it's about. I think of that book often when I encounter people in the world or these figures arise in the world where you're like, man, they're just despicable. I mean, and there's a part part of my mind even today you know that goes i wonder if they're ever going to have that ivan illich moment where he goes oh my god what did i do you know what kind of life did i live
0: yeah well you know like i feel like uh, breaking bad had a lot of ivan oh, illich within boy, it yeah. like as walter was like suffering from cancer and like Trying to do stuff, I felt like he was almost like an Ivan Illich on screen in in today's time. Man, how
1: powerful is that? I didn't even think that, but that reframes <laughs> that show in a whole new light.
0: Uh, yeah, I thought about it the entire series. <laughs> wow. I was Like, oh
1: man, it's like Ivan Illich. God, that's true. Man, you know that's that's something I would actually like to go watch again because I think. You know you're when you're watching that a type of show like breaking bad with these really harsh things that conflict you basically you know where the villain is the hero it's who you're following that was kind of the first thing i ever watched like that actually where yeah you you're to care for the the villain so to speak yeah, i guess exactly very and strange
0: what, and that's what ivan illich is he's yeah. he's a bad he's a bad guy and we're like watching his death so we're like oh do we pity him do we, yeah. do we hate him
1: yeah, it's true. It's like if you can find compassion for Ivan, then you know that's some really good soul work and heart work to do. If you can mm-hmm. find compassion for someone like Ivan, yeah, it's interesting. I guess I forgot that that book was so sharp, short because it had uh, such an impact. It has just got a little bit of a punch to it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So anyway, that that's that's sort of me me and my life with literature.
1: Yeah. You know, another book that's kind of like that to me was Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. I love that book. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, <laughs> I read that book by accident. Honestly, I was uh, going down a, a Buddhist avenue in my life when i was younger and that the name of the book just attracted me so this must be another book about buddhism it look i didn't really know what it was about and then as i'm reading it i go oh this isn't about the buddha this is this independent character you know and what a great story man and just absolutely so good yeah
0: i love it and i used to actually make my seniors in my uh religions class back in missouri read that book um they read the whole thing
1: yeah So, okay, let's talk about your classroom for a bit, man. I'm
0: I'm fascinated
1: by this. And just let me tell you, I didn't grow up in a school that had any kind of religious studies. So when I realized you were a high school, you were teaching high school in 11th and 12th grade. I was like, well, what high school has a religious studies class?
0: So um, Columbia, Missouri is a pretty special place. Um, The people who live there love the city uh, for the most part, and There is a guy who lives there uh, named George Frizzell. And George was the first podcast guest that I ever had on my show, The Classical Ideas Podcast. And there's a very particular reason for that, is because George is the founder of the Classical Ideas and World Religions Elective in Columbia Public Schools. So in the late 80s, George was uh, teaching in Columbia, Missouri, And his students said that they would like to learn more about religion because he was like, you know, they were learning about it in history class a little bit. And they were learning a little bit about it in English class with George. And so they kept saying, oh, we wish we had a class about religion, just about religion. So George started this class, and it has attained a mythical, legendary status within the town And for years, the students who take the class get T-shirts with the logo of what is actually my podcast logo. They get it on T-shirts. And so in town in Columbia, Missouri, on any given day, you can be at the mall or at Target or at Starbucks and you'll see somebody with a classical ideas and world religions t-shirt with Aristotle or um, Gandhi quotes on the back huh. of it, whatever, whatever we did in any given year. And you go up to him and you're like, oh, hey, you took world religion or you took classical ideas, huh? So it's like a thing in the town. That That's students, really cool, man. Yeah. for For decades, students have taken this class. And so when my new school opened up, Uh, The class had um, like 17 or 18 students enrolled, so I got to teach it, and George and I became friends, and he kind of mentored me through the process of teaching about religion in a public school. So, like, George was my, you know, my sort of uh, introduction to, like, how to to be constitutionally appropriate, and how to have conversations that don't cross any theological lines within a classroom. And um, he's like one of my best friends. And um, he's actually retired now, but the class uh, lives on at George's old school with a new teacher named John, who I'm also friends with. And um, the class is not currently happening at the school that I taught that I taught for five years, but um, it might make a comeback sometime. But um, it still goes, it's still going in the original school, just with a different teacher than George. Yet that. I uh, got a little bit of envy whenever
1: I realized that you were teaching, listening to your show, and I realized that you were teaching a class like that. One, I, I wanted that for my teenage son. You know, he's 16. He's a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. And I thought, boy, he would really love this. I mean, because we're having these kinds of dynamic philosophical and religious you know, and spiritual conversations at home. And it's very broad in all these different categories because I really encourage him to kind of find his own way. We don't have like a religious – culture at our house we didn't grow up that i didn't grow up that way it's very alien for us to have one you know doctrine or foundation in our home so i encourage them to to find the door that is going to lead them wherever you know their heart's taking them and in a healthy mm-hmm. way obviously you know but uh yeah so for him to have that at school would be awesome so i was like man that's kind of got a little bit of envy in that regard But the other thing was I just tried to imagine what this must be like, you know, the complexities of it and then the joy of it as well. I mean, you just said some of those complexities, you know, how do you have a class like that and not cross theological boundaries? Because it seems like it would almost
0: by its very nature happen. It's a very delicate balance. And over the years, uh, George and I had have both had to, um, end a guest speaker's appearance in our room Hmm. um, because all of a sudden the conversation would take a turn that was constitutionally inappropriate for a public school. Um, So George and I have both had to, um, you know, meet with people in advance, make sure they understood like the the way it's supposed to be and understand what they can and should not do. And over the years, George and I both had to step in and say, okay, um, unfortunately this conversation has veered into theologically inappropriate territory and we're gonna, I'm going to call this right now. Hmm. Um, but, almost everybody, and I would have like 25 guest speakers per year, and that happened to me one time. Um, So, I mean, there were only like 85 meetings per year, because the class only met every other day. So out of of like 85 meetings in a year, or 90 meetings in a year, um, a full quarter of them were with guest speakers interacting directly with people who do the things that we're studying. So. So this is an elective class? Yeah, well, it's an elective, but... Um, I was I'm also dual certified in Missouri, so like I could teach social studies or English classes. Okay. So students would be able to choose the credit that they took it for in their senior year. So I, I could be I, I had all seniors um, and, and uh, they could choose for it for English or for social studies. So that was kind of a really cool perk as well. Did you see anything special happen in those classes, uh,
1: Greg? Like, did you? Oh, yeah. The, the mind oh, yeah. opening up, you know, these kids.
0: A hundred percent. Um, and I mean, there was one year where I had a very, uh, like, like new atheist style, um, atheist young man, uh, in the class who was like, no, very into like Richard Dawkins like Chris Hitchens and Sam Harris and folks like that. And a woman across the room who was a born again, evangelical, uh, who, um, talked about the Bible in very literal terms. Um, and so they would snipe at each other across the room in conversations during class throughout the entire year. Interesting. <laughs> it was, but the thing is, they they never were insulting. They would just be like, well, i I, I vehemently, I vehemently disagree with uh-huh. what you just said, and here's why. <laughs> um, and what was so cool about it was at the end of the year, the students do a final as a as a group. Uh huh. And those two students did their final together. Really? And they ch- and they chose that. And they chose that dynamic um, because throughout throughout the course of the year, they both realized that the other one had been their greatest source of intellectual growth. Wow! So I had the, the Richard Dawkins atheist and I had the born again evangelical biblical literalist talking to each other for their final and collaborating together on their final project and loving every second of it. That is an
1: incredible thing, isn't it? You know, I think sometimes the sentiments that we see in the the media would have you believe that everybody's just uh i call it the curse of this and that you know everybody's either this or they're that and everybody oh, yeah. thinks that way it's super polarized but right there in the classroom you see that these two these two people who maybe live in two different camps so i'll say it that way they still want to dialogue with the other person they still have this eagerness to learn about them and to grow you know that's something that I've always kind of scratched my head about with religion, and I'd be curious to hear what you think about this. I always wonder why uh, it can be—it's such a source of contention uh, when it's supposed to be a source of, uh, to me anyway, of consolation.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it's it. I find consolation. I, I can. I am able to find consolation in virtually any religious text. If you give me a religious text from almost any tradition and I sit down and I read it, I am open enough to that text and willing to learn Mm. to where I can find something in any religious text that is extremely worthy and extremely good Mm -hmm. and extremely powerful um, for me in any given moment. Um, And so I also don't think that I have any – real answers. So I think that whenever people feel like they have the answer and the book or the text, it's just extremely limiting. And honestly, I find, um, you know, people, I find certainty, uh, almost boring in a way. Like I, I I get, (laughs) I get bored by complete certainty. Um, And so that's kind of my approach to it is I can pick up. So like I have like four different Korans sitting right next to me right now. And I've got three different Bhagavad Gita's on the shelf above it. And I've got the Upanishads and I've got the Analects of Confucius and I have the Book of Mormon all right here at eye level right now as I'm talking to you. And I can pick up any one of them right now and I can find the good in any of them. And uh, that to me is just kind of what i think is is cool about it yeah you're gonna get what you go mining for i mean yeah, that's totally. the truth yeah i mean i feel
1: that way about biblical scripture too I, I was kind of thinking about that the other morning you know it's again like you had said about the Tao Te ching it you can imprint it over your life and almost like a magic eight ball you're gonna see whatever you're looking for it's gonna you're gonna mm-hmm. find something to support your worldview. What I'm looking for, just as you said, is I'm looking for something to crash through what I already know, so I yep. can see something in a new way.
0: Yeah, well, because that those are the those are the moments when you actually learn when you when you crash against what you feel like you know. That's actual learning to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I and I didn't write this down in the questions I had sent you, but I heard it on your podcast. You were talking with your recent guest about taking field trips uh, Mm. with your students. And I thought, man, that that sounds like it's highly valuable. And one of the things you had said, which I thought, that's how we all are, isn't it? You know, people that had lived in these areas for 40 years and said, I've driven by this temple for 40 years. I've never thought to stop and go inside.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that was so. Logistically, field trips for a teacher are a nightmare. <laughs> um, it, it, it's the worst um, because there are so many forms that you have to fill out, and oftentimes you have to like raise money for a bus, or you have to like request funds from your department head. So, my field trips were for my religions class were for very, very many reasons entirely optional, and so like you know, imagine me requiring a group of 60 high school students to go to the Masjid in town, uh, the mosque. And, you know, then I would be in the newspaper.
1: Um,
0: I mean, it's just the way it is. Like, uh, requiring people to go on field trips, uh, to religious sites is, is just not possible, um, as a teacher. And, you know, um, if you You could like obviously say, oh, I'm going to opt out. But so the way I always did the field trips was we usually did it on like a Saturday um, or we would do I I would call ahead to like the the synagogue and I would say, oh, we're going to come to a Shabbat service. And I would just say, hey, everybody, uh, I'm going to be there at this time on this day. And if you and your family and friends want to come and sit in the back with me um, and do some Q&A afterwards, I would love to have you. And that's kind of how I did the field trips is I would offer a time when I was going to be at a religious house of worship and I would open the invitation to all parents, all students, and their friends and family, et cetera. And I would just go and I would be there and people would always show up. So that was kind of how I did it is I just said, this is where I'm going to be. And if you come, I'll give you extra credit for class. Ah, if you okay. And so I, I would offer like a little like class incentive, but I would always <laughs> make it extra and I would allow people to explore it if they felt like it. And um, usually the way I would do it is I would have a per Come in, the guest speaker who was from that house of worship, and do Q and A, so that like the very next Saturday they would be able to go and hang out with that exact person in their house of worship, um, so that they felt like another layer of comfort. And that's kind of how I went about it. Yeah,
1: that's really awesome. We don't get the proximity to places like that where I live are are very lean. I mean, you have to really travel if you want to go to a Buddhist temple or if you want to go to a Zen center. Uh, There's just not a lot of that, even within like two hours from where I'm at in any direction. 30 minutes from here, of course, that's way less than two hours, but it's kind of tucked away in the middle of nowhere. There's a little uh, Buddhist community that had migrated to the united states uh during the vietnam war and so mm. it's more like a neighborhood yeah of vietnamese buddhists uh so they have a little temple and a little garden area and so once a year They have like a garden festival and it's a really pretty place you can go in there and buy you know lotuses and trees and flowers that they grow in the garden but that's really kind of it as far as what i and i'm and i'm looking you know i'm actively looking for things like that i do think there might be a small tibetan center in lafayette which is about an hour from here oh cool Um, but um you know it's hard to find information you go online and it's just not, I don't know, the website, of course, if you're trying to find it through a website, you probably need to have to just drive over there and walk in the door.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and like th- the religions of the world um, and my interest in them guides how I travel also. Um, so, for example, um, back in uh, October, I went to New York City to see the misfits at Madison Square Garden and I the, uh, so I had time to kill during the day. And so what I did is I just put, uh, I would go on Google maps in Manhattan and I would type in Zen enter. And then I would see where there was Zen locations in Manhattan. And then I would type in Judaism enter. And I would see where the Jew, the different Jewish houses of worship were in New York city. And I did like uh Gurdwara Sikhism. Um, and then I would see where those were. And then I would just walk around the city and I would just look at religiously important sites in Manhattan. And that was what I do. I wouldn't even go inside though. I would just like, look at the building and then I'd go to the next one, you know? So this, um, the, th- thinking about these things, makes it so that like if I'm ever in a new city I just type something into Google Maps and then I go look at it like I'm never bored when I go to places that I don't have never been because this gives me something always to do if I find myself with a little bit of free time I love that we, we, we
1: kind of do the same thing my wife and I when we travel that's exactly what we did on our last trip we were over in Texas and we did the same thing uh, and we found a, a Buddhist temple you know out in the middle of the woods somewhere and it was just as you said you're not engaging with people necessarily but you get to be exposed to the architecture and the art i never really had thought about that uh religious travel and tourism we actually work in travel and tourism so it's kind of an interesting perspective i did kind of have a thought like that i'm a part of a um i guess like a, a group that's working um working on trying to clean up our area with litter and recycling and things like that but i do notice that when i go to those meetings it hit me at the last one you know the 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 majority of the conversations are how how can we get the schools involved or how can we get industry involved how can we get businesses involved and i I was listening to all that and i thought you know we're not really bringing in a religious or spiritual dimension but this is a problem that could be addressed by those entities as well and each one might be able to bring some really beautiful perspectives about stewardship to the table uh, so I decided that that would be sort of my role in that. And I know it's an odd side door into, mm. into religion. But I thought, you know, if we if you can get the, the religions that do exist here, or the people that are involved in those religions, to also look at the environment through that lens, uh, it might even awaken some interest in their own faith or their own religion that they didn't know uh, elements that were there that they weren't really seeking out.
0: Well, and was something that's interesting in what you just said is like uh, it exposes people to new things within their own religion. So that to me was actually a a very intriguing finding for me as a teacher was watching students learn new things about their own religions. Ah. And I was often wondering before I started teaching the class, um, will a class like this Accidentally change any people's minds, hmm. you know what I mean? Like I, I go into it like explicitly being like, this is not a conversion effort. Like I go, ah. I have this big spiel that I go through where I'm like, if you are seeking to, um, you know, find ammunition against other religions, you're in the wrong place. If you are using this as a way to reinforce your preconceived notions, you are in the wrong place. Um, If you, you know, please feel free to drop the class if these are your motivations. Like, all of that stuff. And then at the end of the year, the students would always like almost nobody would walk away being like, Oh, I am now a, Uh. (laughs) I'm now Muslim. Like that that does not, that does not happen in classrooms. So people are really afraid that religious studies as an academic pursuit is going to lead a mass conversion of their children away from their original religions. And that does not happen. Like that just doesn't (laughs) happen. At least, not in in my experience of teaching about it in an American high school classroom for five years. That is a really
1: good point. I'm glad you said that because there is a fear. When I talk to people, uh, just in my life and in circles that I travel in, I I sense that that there's a fear that if I read a book about meditation, if I read a book that has Buddhism in it of any kind, or if I read something about Taoism or Hinduism, it's almost like in where I guess where I live. And I'm not. And this isn't fair. Let me just say this before I say what I'm about to say. It's not fair because I don't know everybody. I'm just going to sure. say that the, the majority of the people I encounter, there is a fear that if I enter that place, I'm going to get converted and, and I'm not being faithful to what, you know, the, the group I'm in. My religion, my what I was brought up in. I'm being unfaithful to that to some degree. Uh, so there is like a, a resistance there. And that's something that I, I would love to see sort of begin to soften and melt away because I, I agree with you. You don't have to change your religion to acquire gifts from other religions as you learn about them. In fact, if anything, I find it only magnifies sometimes what you already hold dear. And I'm happy. I know it. I'm helping. I hate to pause the program, but I want to ask you something. Did you know that you can help me and my team at Parker Brand Creative Services grow the Find the Good News signal? For less than a fancy cup of coffee, you can become an Early Risers Club patron on our Patreon page. What's Patreon? Well, it's a way for creators to fund their projects by pooling support from those really passionate people that believe in what they're doing. Do you believe in what we're doing with Find the Good News? I hope you do. We believe that there's already enough negative news in the world, even right here at home, and that good people doing good works deserve a platform to speak from too. That's why we created Find the Good News, and we believe in that simple mission. Maybe you believe in it too. If you do believe in finding and sharing good news, then head over to our Patreon page right now or check out the link in the show description. For a commitment of $3.33 a month, you can join the Early Risers Club of Find the Good News Patreon supporters and get access to The B-Sides, a patrons-only podcast with the crew behind Find the Good News Parker Brand Creative Services. Each time we level up, the Patreon rewards will get bigger. If you're tired of old news, bad news, and fake news, help support Find the Good News at patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. That's patreon.com slash find the good news now back to the episode
0: yeah well and i mean i do my very best on the on the classical ideas podcast to feature voices of teachers and scholars and educators who are doing an awesome job of uh furthering the goals of religious literacy in society. So like my most recent episode is with a teacher yeah. who lives in Maryland who teaches religious studies. And uh, I've had multiple guests from the Religious Freedom Center like Ben Marcus and Dr. Charles Haynes on the show. Um, I have had several teachers on the show. George Coe who lives in Washington, D.C. Um, who else have I had? John Camardella who lives in Chicago. Um, George Frizzell who lives in Columbia, Missouri. And and so, like, I do my best to feature the voices of teachers who teach about this stuff in very compelling, very current ways. And I would definitely encourage people to ask for these kinds of these types of classes in their local public school districts. I mean, if you ask for it, public education is a public good. If you demand it and you ask for it, it will most likely happen. So really. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if students want a class like this in their public school districts and they ask for it, um, there's, a pro- there's probably a teacher in that district who will take up the cause and who will probably design an amazing course for it and have amazing experiences for students for years to come. But if nobody ever asks for it, how is it supposed to happen?
1: Yeah, no, it's true. It's an encouragement. I like that. Uh, I think that's a good – I guess I never think of it that way. You just think – Oh, this is the system that you're in and you just sort of roll with it. But it's people like you and other people that like you've had on your show who go, hey, well, like even your recent guest, you know, he he used that as an opportunity Uh, that city council or city town hall meeting or whatever. He had told a story. I just listened to it this morning, so I'll probably mess Mm -hmm. it up. But, you know, where he saw that they were opened a can of worms by having to give uh, the school calendar where everybody was off for a different religious holiday. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So they didn't really handle it the right way, and so they just shut it all down. And, yep. and he sees that there's an opportunity here to educate people. And it sounds like you think like that, too. And I think that if more people thought like that, uh, you'd see more of these types of things. I'm not sure if there's anybody working in our area where I live that uh, feels that passionately about it, but that would be really fantastic. I didn't. I guess I never really thought of it. That way, you just have to have somebody go, hey, I bring it to the table.
0: You know, and, like, that guides a lot of the things that I do for the show, for my own classrooms as well, because I, I've i landed, like, for my show, like, Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestselling authors, I mean, the celebrity chef, Eric Repair, <laughs> who was on Parts Unknown with Anthony Bourdain, uh, the daughters of Alan Watts. Like, yes. And my philo- my philosophy for the show is... Just ask, what are they going to do? Say, no, I can't come on your show. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like I found that so many people who I ask say yes. And that is like the biggest, uh, endearing and heartening quality of it all is like people want to do cool stuff. People want to talk about neat ideas. So like if you have an idea, just ask, I mean, what is the other person going to do? Say no. I mean, whatever. They right. say no. Who cares? Yeah. Um, well, look. Then you I,
1: I kind of felt that. I started when I started reaching out to people outside of the area to be on this show. I kind of felt like that too, you know, because I'll read a book that I like and I go, well, I wonder if this person would want to be on my show. You know, in, in your mind, you elevate them to a place that's sort of above you, and that you're down here somewhere. That's kind of how my mind worked initially. And I was like, well, they probably wouldn't be interested. in it's like, just what you said, though. I said, well, let me just ask the question. I mean, all they can do is say no, I don't have time for that, or no, I'm not interested. Yeah, exactly.
0: And I mean, like, my show is not, like, a powerful show. Like, I don't have any advertising money. Uh, I get roughly 1,000 to 1,500 downloads for any given episode. So, like, if there's a professor who comes on my show, um, they're probably going to get, like – you know, 1200, 1300, 1400 downloads. And then maybe, you know, 700 of them will actually listen to the conversation. So it's not like it's a massive audience, but Hey, I mean, 700 new people listening to an hour long conversation with you. I mean, that's kind of cool. Maybe you'll sell some books, you know?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, that's why I listen to your show. I mean, I, hey, man, it's, an, it's, an, it's an educational component to my life. I mean, I look forward to, to who's who's next. You know, And, and I, like I said, I still have a backlog that I haven't even listened to yet. But I have found that my wife even likes listening to them. When we'll go on trips together, I'll go, oh, you'd really like this conversation, even though she may not hear the beginning of whatever y'all were talking about. I'll play it with her in the car, and then we have these wonderful conversations, you know. Or I'll look over to the right, and she'll be going, "Yep, yep, that's that. Yep, I like that." And you know she's n- nodding
0: in acknowledgement that something's resonating with her, and my well, son too. You know, same thing. And you know what's so funny? Like there there are so many episodes now. Like there's like 150 ish. And so if anybody is interested in listening to the show, 150 episodes of something is like. So daunting. Where do I begin? Do I have to listen to them in order? Um, So, anybody who actually has like Twitter or something like that, like if you like ping me on Twitter and say, hey, I'm super interested in Taoism, tell me where I can find information about Taoism on your show, and I will send you like a tailored individualized guide to listening to my show that fit your interests. Like, you know what I mean? So like, I will, I will tell you exactly which episodes you should listen to. And you know, like I have some episodes that, um, aren't that great. And I have some episodes that are amazing. So if I can like individually tailor the listening experience, I will. Yeah. That's awesome, man, that you do that. I, I don't do that.
1: And I never really thought about that. You know, I, uh, Huh? So if somebody? Yeah, all, you con- do,
0: all you gotta do is ask. <laughs> wow, man,
1: that's really that's an extra service that you that you don't get. Well, and there you go again. That's another encouragement to reach out to the person who's producing the show. Yeah. You know, I mean, you want to share this information. You're not just saying, "Hey, I made the show. Why should I have to do, do something right. extra?" You know? Exactly. Uh, you brought this up, and I wanted to talk a little bit about it, if if you don't mind, uh, when you spoke to Alan Watts's daughters.
0: Oh man, yeah. Um, what do you want to know?
1: (laughs) I mean, man, I mean, just how, what did that feel like? I mean, did that, that's one of those that, uh, when I was looking at your show and going through the playlist or the episodes, I thought, wait a second, Alan Watts. And then I went, that's his daughters. I was like, what the heck is this? That where, where is this coming from? You know, like I may, to me, it was amazing, I guess that you, you had that. And I can imagine how you probably felt when you secured that interview, those interviews.
0: So, um, I mean, anybody who is like has read any books about religion or is like watching YouTube or whatever has come across like Alan Watts lectures or Alan Watts books at some point. And for anybody who doesn't know who Alan Watts is, he was a a British man who was born, I think, around like 1915 and died in the early 1970s. He was an Anglican priest who was ordained as a priest in Chicago, in the Chicago suburbs in Evanston, I believe. And he then became well known for popularizing uh, Zen Buddhism in the West around the time of like um, DT Suzuki and the arrival of like Shunryu Suzuki Roshi in San Francisco, who founded the San Francisco Zen Center. Um, So Alan Watts is like kind of like a philosophical thinker who had a really amazing way of distilling religious ideas to a wide audience on like books and lecture tours. Anyway, so I like Alan Watts' books a whole lot. um, And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening would as well. And so he's super well known, uh, especially for his books about Zen. And I'm interested in Zen. I think I've done like 20 something episodes just about Zen Buddhism on my show. And so Alan Watts... Uh, was a very complicated figure as well. Very, very imperfect and flawed human being with a lot of issues. And there, is, there was a book coming out um, from New World Library, who is one of the publishers that I partner with a ton. And I noticed that it was The Collected Letters of Alan Watts by Joan and Ann Watts. And hmm. so I emailed the publicist at New World Library, who I befriended because she helped me book Brad Warner for early in my show, like episode 22, 21, something like that. And I asked, is there any way that I can talk to one of the authors, Joan or Ann Watts? And they said, well, would you like to do both? And I was like, well, would I be able to have different conversations with them? Like I was really worried about having both of them because I was afraid that they would overlap. Hmm. Um, And they said, they're very different. The conversations will not overlap, and you should say yes. And I said, (laughs) okay. So they encouraged me to accept both of them as guests. And so episode 32 and 33 is with Joan, who is the oldest daughter, and episode 33 is with Anne, who is the second eldest daughter of Alan Watts. And they talked about growing up with this philosophical thinker Uh, who was interested in religion as a dad and all the stories that they remember about him, uh, his complexities as a person, uh, the fact that he was a very well-known expert in Zen Buddhism, but wasn't really, he didn't really have like a committed meditation practice, which is like super funny to me. And I loved it. (laughs) All the personal anecdotes that they shared were so, so wonderful. Um, And they were so kind and so nice. Um, And, funny story is their grandmother is a woman named Ruth Fuller Sasaki uh-huh. and Ruth Fuller Sasaki was the first Westerner ever ordained as a Rinzai Zen priest in Japan. So um, Alan Watts's mother-in-law is actually a far more committed Zen practitioner than he <laughs> ever was. Um, and Ruth Fuller Sasaki, Joan and Anne's grandmother, wrote uh, a few books about Zen um, in the 1950s and 60s, I believe. And I was in Toronto um, several months ago, and I found a first edition Ruth Fuller Sasaki book in a basement bookstore in Toronto, Canada. Get out of here. And I bought it. And I emailed Joan and I said, Hey, I bought this. And she said, none, nobody in our family has that book. And I said, I will mail it to you right awesome, now, man. That so, is so like, awesome. Seriously. And it was the first edition of it, The book is called Zen, a religion, and it's extremely rare. And I found it and I just mailed it to Joan Watts, um, who lives out West. And, um, and now the family has a copy of their grandmother's book. So like these, these friendships that, and these little relationships that I form with these guests on this show, uh, they, they resonate over time. And you know what I mean? Like I've met, like, I like, Since then, I've met like 20 or 30 people. Every time I go to a new town, I try to meet people that have been on my show, and then we go to lunch, and it's just amazing to do a little creative project with somebody and then have these friendships or these little, you know, communications last over time. I love that. I love that. I love that you're calling those friendships and that they are real friendships
1: for you too, because I think, you know, you've turned your teaching career in this podcast into I don't know. You've turned it into a a communion table, basically. I mean, where everybody's invited to sit and, you know, join in.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, if you came to Niagara Falls with your family on a trip, like I would totally come and hang out with you. If, if I came down to Louisiana and I was like anywhere near you, I would totally try and come and like have lunch with you. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's kind of like what I do for all the people that have been on the show. Um, is if they're anywhere near me or I'm anywhere near them, I try to make it happen. And my wife knows that I do that too. She's like super committed to me hanging out with my past podcast guests.
1: That takes it that that's something beautiful, man. I got to tell you, cause that's sort of what I had hoped with Find the good news. You know, my my initial thing was that social media can be a very dark and ugly place, but it doesn't have to be a dark and ugly place. I mean, this well, I heard the other day on in a book I was listening to, things that hurt can also harm, and vice versa. And and he was kind of talking about social media, how cults use social media to uh hook people now. They have this big platform that they didn't have before and I was like, "Yeah, that that's true." But at the same time, you know, if you choose to use social media and communication tools for good, you can make real human connections that you couldn't have made otherwise. And that's what you're doing. I love that. You're taking it I beyond. Tried. You know, you get it off the digital and into the the real uh, the real world.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 really rewarding to have these situations and friendships last over time. But like, I mean, back to Alan Watts. Like, I, I read that entire book and the collected letters and the conversations that I was able to have because I engaged so deeply with the book, um, you know, being able to talk to Joan and Ann who are in their seventies and eighties themselves about their dad, who's been dead for like over 40 years, um, was super powerful. And I actually got an email from a historian after I put those episodes out and he said, Thank you so much for that, for those conversations. I bet that historians will mind those conversations for biographical details when they continue to uh, <laughs> dissect the work of Alan Watts in the future in academic departments. And that was like so wild. I was like, wow, somebody could like write an APA citation about my podcast episode. <laughs> that is so neat. Yeah, because I mean, that's the
1: beauty. Yeah, man. Wow. Well, OK, well, that kind of leads into one of the questions I wanted to ask you is would you consider that a pivotal a pivotal episode for you? where you go, man, things have changed with this show.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, like, but but right before I had Ann and Joan, so Ann and Joan are episodes 32 and 33, but episode 29 with the, uh, the journalist named Ian Johnson, mm-hmm. um, that, ep- I mean, he's a Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, episode 29 is with a Pulitzer Prize winner. So, like, yes, episode 32 and 33 with Ann and Joan Watts are, like, the pivotal moments like that. The Joan Watts episode is my most downloaded episode ever. Um, it gets downloaded every single day Wow! from somewhere in the world. Um, because whenever you type in Alan Watts into any podcast app, my episode with Joan pops right up. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, episode 29 was with a Pulitzer prize winner. Um, And that is that that is incredible to me as well. And I think that episode 29 is actually arguably my most overlooked episode. Really? Um, Yeah, for sure, Um, because I I put it out so early in the show that if I put out that episode now with Ian, who is a Pulitzer Prize winner, like I said, it would get uh, quadruple the amount of downloads in the next month than it got when I put it out in December 2017.
1: You know, one of my coworkers uh, uh, said something about that and she said, you know, I think what we're witnessing in these early days when you have those early episodes that are before you have 50 or even 100 episodes, there's almost like a wait and see attitude with people when they're looking for podcasts. I mean, I don't know if you have those habits, but I do where I'll go look at a show and go, well, let me see how many they've actually produced because I don't want to get invested if they've only got 12 episodes and it's been a year since one's come out
0: yeah exactly yeah Yeah. so in those Um, early
1: ones maybe people were just uh yeah i don't know that that's a phenomenon that we've noticed as well
0: i mean one of my favorite episodes that i ever did is episode (coughs) 51 with a an ex scavera hasid named shulam dean um and he wrote a book called all who go do not return about leaving an ultra insular orthodox jewish community um and Like, that episode is absolutely amazing, and it's so far back now in my catalog that it hardly gets downloaded, and it's such a shame because it is so good. Like, I've had people listen to that episode and cry. Really? Um, Yeah, and so, like, so many things in my back catalog are like, really, really good. Like I look back at it and I can't believe it's actually me who made it. And I'm just like, man, I can't believe like how proud of this I am.
1: So do you have, do you have those curated somewhere? I mean, I know you have your, or your, uh, the different aggregators that push the podcast out, but do you have all of your, your favorite episodes like curated somewhere, like on a website or a page somewhere?
0: I do not have a website. Uh, I just have like the Libsyn account where um, I upload all the audio. So it's like classicalideaspodcast.libsyn.com. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so that's like my, my pod tosser that like throws all the episodes like out to Spotify and iTunes and stuff. Um, but I'm trying to think about a way that I can um, compile uh, like the best of Zen episodes. Mm, the- yeah like the best of Judaism episode. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like pull like my favorite, like four minute segments and put them all into like the best of episodes. That That would be really awesome. Yeah. It's just a really hard project because there's so many of them at this time. Well, and then Uh, you have to go back and listen to each episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It might be like a, it might be like a, when I'm totally done with the show, Like I'll do like uh, some compilation episodes um, to be like, hey, the show's over, etc. But. These are my best ofs. And when you hear a clip that you really like, here's the episode number in the catalog kind of thing. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I would encourage anybody listening to this to just go first and foremost, go subscribe to the show and just start somewhere. Because I promise you, if you have any re- any interests in culture, religion, history, you're going to find something that's going to uh, resonate with you. That's my opinion. There's enough content in there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, uh, right now I'm actually doing, I'm going really, really slow right now because I have these massive work projects that I'm working on right now. So I'm, I'm being very, very gentle in my pacing at the moment. I'm only doing about two per month at the moment. I used to do six per month. And so now I'm slowing down and I'm just kind of relaxing and I'm going to let 2020 just kind of ride with about two or three episodes a month. Um, So it's it's a very relaxed pace right now compared to what I used to do. But um, I want the show to survive um, so I can do less episodes or I can stop the show altogether. And I'm choosing to do less um, because I might ramp back up again in the future. You know? Yeah.
1: So I have one – before we jump into the last part of the show, I have one question. This may be a big question. Sure. Uh, oh, man. But why do you think – and maybe you don't think this. I don't know. I didn't ask you if you thought this or not. But do you think uh, studying religion is valuable? And I mean, not just one religion, but all religions, the way, you're, the way you're putting it out there. Why do you think that's valuable for people
0: in America? Well, I mean – The United States is diversifying at such a rapid pace, and if you follow politics and culture in the United States at all, you know that people are freaked out by things that happen at a rapid rate of change. So, um, and then what that does is when you get freaked out, you get scared, and so I am not scared um, of rapid rates of change, um, with regards to religion and culture. Um, and I, I really can't articulate why, but I'm just not, maybe, maybe because I'm not a super religious person. Um, and I don't, you know, subs- I don't, uh, desire any sort of cultural hegemony over anybody else. So, I'm not particularly nervous. I think that the diversity of the United States is extremely interesting instead of scary. And so to me, whenever I learn um, new things about religion, um, one of the things I love to do is ask people who practice those religions, is that actually accurate? Is that how you see it? And then what happens is I start to see the internal diversity – of particular religions. So if I read something in a book and then I ask four or five different people from that religion, do you believe XYZ that I just read in this book? Um, maybe one person will be like, oh yeah, totally. And then one person will be like, kind of, but it's actually more like this for me. And then one person will be like, no, I don't think that at all. So I am always constantly seeking to find the internal diversity within different religions because um, I hear people all the time say all Muslims believe X mm-hmm. or all Jews believe Y. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, or all Christians believe Z. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that is so <laughs> boring and dull because it's so not true. I like to see the tapestry within a religion instead mm. of seeing somebody like on the news say all so-and-sos believe such. Yeah. And so like I'm constantly looking for the tapestry within a religion. Um, and I think that if everybody else looked for the tapestry within religion as well um, and asked questions to people who actually practice those religions instead of being like all oh, people believe this and that yeah. um, that we would we would make so many strides as a country just like almost immediately like I feel like that would just be so powerful if we all were working from a uh, lacking a, are a state of uh, suspicion hmm. and instead move to a state of curiosity and um, internal diversity awareness. Yeah, you
1: you sound like you're uh, almost a servant to the mystery, you know, like that. Oh, totally. You know, that, that's what I love. I mean, you're like, look, I, I like. I like the not knowing, you know, yeah. that's a very comfortable place is to leave an element of mystery. I've I've talked to a few people before about that. I said, you know, when I try to describe what whatever I practice, which I don't even know what I call that anymore, which is kind of the, a mystery. But I have this walking stick and it has a red ribbon and a yellow silk ribbon on it. And I was telling a buddy of mine one day, I said, you know, I would honestly sum up. I guess what I practice with those ribbons I said you know the red ribbon holds uh, passion for me I think of passion and and really lively things you know uh, engaging the world with both hands with your shoes off and then the yellow ribbon is sort of the softer side it's the joy of life it's happiness and laughter and all the beautiful things but 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 there's a third ribbon and he said, well, what color is that one? I said, well, that ribbon is the mystery. I don't know what color it is, you know? And when the wind blows, I always have to remember that between those two silos that I sort of operate in, there's this mystery that I, that I can't see. And it's okay, because it's different as my life evolves. It, that's always there. There's always that element.
0: I like your I like your ribbon statement. I have a sort of another one uh, that I use called, about the, about a rowboat. So imagine you're on a, on a rowboat and you go uh, out onto the middle of a lake with your two uh, clunky rowboat paddles. And you're looking at the mountains and the distance and the sky above you and the trees like on the side of on the hill. And so you can see all this stuff. And there's certain things that are very, very clear. And there are certain things that are very, very far away. And there are certain things that you can't see at all because you can't see under the water. So, like, to me, it's like I'm rowing on top of this water, and I feel like I can know certain things around me, like, for for pretty sure, but I can't know anything that's under the water unless I put on some scuba gear and I dive into the lake. And so, like, that to me is, like, I feel like I'm always rowing around on a rowboat, and I'm just like, you know, and then – I like to try and put on some scuba gear every now and then and go down because every time you go down in the scuba gear, you're going to find something different.
1: Yeah. And I like that a lot. It's it, well, there you go. You are uh, you're you're back in Dowdy Ching territory right there. You know, people being concerned with the surface and not the depths.
0: Yeah. And I don't know anything. You know what I mean? I'm just a guy. Um, And like, I can't believe people actually even listen to my show because I'm just like a dude from the Midwest. Uh, I live in New York now, but like in Buffalo, but um, I'm just like a guy and I had a classroom and now I have an electronic classroom and I like some asking some questions but I'm just a dude, you know, I don't have any kind of like name recognition, I don't have any sponsors, I don't have any money, I don't have any power or fame, and I just do this because it's just a fun hobby for me. God, I,
1: I, we have some camaraderie here because I say something so, I end so many of my little uh, rants about certain things, I would call them, uh, or my little, you know, pulpits I stand on and uh, I always end with, "But, but what do I know, I'm just some guy. I mean, exactly. don't, don't listen to me because I'm just some guy. I don't know anything. I mean, I'm just trying to figure it out just like you. I mean, even if I had some kind of pedigree, it wouldn't matter because I'm still just a person who's trying to find their way.
0: Yeah. And like the whole thing is like I, I, about this show, like this whole conversation, like I just like have listed off a whole bunch of things that I like. And anybody who listens to this, like you can go find and see if you like it, too. And if you don't, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It's you know?
1: absolutely true. Just put it out there. That's great advice. Actually, so somebody,
0: like I said, I talked about how much I love Haruki Murakami earlier, and somebody might pick up a Haruki Murakami book and like be like, "This is total trash," and be like, "Okay, throw it away." <laughs> you know? Who cares? Right? That's that's and isn't that great? Right. Yep, I mean, wouldn't I the, so.
1: things would be so much better if we could take that attitude. It doesn't we don't everything doesn't need to be placed in this precious glass container on the fickle shelf, you know, just wobbling on the edge, you know?
0: Yeah. And like student, students in the past have always asked me, "Wow, why are we reading this and that? And I'm always like, well, is your life worse because we read it? Like, is your life worse because you read Othello or Gilgamesh? And they're always like, "Uh," I'm like, is your life worse? Really? For real? Because we read this like 80 page book. Is your life worse? And they're like, no. And I'm like, OK, there you go. Like, that's all you need is like a little bit of a sense of wonder and realizing that your life isn't worse after you've tried out something new, because maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll hate it. Maybe you'll be totally mediocre and meh about it. But sure. Hey, you know what I mean? It's it's just a day of life with a new experience, and there you go.
1: Well, the great gift of a show like yours, and it brings me back to that statement about you—you've created a communion table. Is you know when you're co- communing with people, it's it's conversation, it's things that you can have dialogue about and get to know each other. You you're providing such a robust wealth of information that people can really congregate around i mean i i feel like i have more to talk about because of a show like yours when i do engage with other people at that you know hypothetical communion table when we begin talking it's created these caverns of information that i didn't have to draw on before you know and so now i w- when we dialogue it may connect with them just anything like that so i mean it just creates a richness
0: absolutely and like um i've talked about the show I uh- like I, I've, I actually went back the other day and listened to a couple episodes. Like I listened to episode 40 with a former Zen Rinzai Zen priest named Shozan Jack Hobner. And I listened to the whole thing the other day and I learned so many new things <laughs> because I have totally forgotten everything that we said in that, in that conversation. And I was laughing hysterically because I was like, I can't believe I'm listening to my own voice. And I don't remember any of this because I yeah. do remember that I interviewed him at like four thirty in the morning. Oh, wow. And so, like, I'm like, oh yeah, I interviewed him at 4:30 in the morning because he's in Austria, and like, it was just so funny because um, I was like deliriously tired, and it is like hysterical <laughs> conversation, and I don't even remember it. So, like, I went back and I learned from my own my own show that where I just remembered something that happened years ago. Do
1: you ever find that you're uh, whatever you happen to be reading, which I know that you said you're kind of reading pieces right now, and I've been in that stage before too. But do you ever find that when you're really invested in something, whatever it may. Be, be that for that time period it takes you to read it that the world looks
0: like what you're reading oh yeah lincoln and the bardo straight up like i was like i I, the first book that springs to mind is george saunders is lincoln and the bardo um and that to me is uh like whenever i think about that i just think about parenting Mm -hmm. um like Abraham Lincoln and Willie Lincoln, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think about my own kid and I'm like, I have to go to get her from school early today cuz I'm going to lose it. <laughs> you know? And yeah. um, so I, I that that totally happens to me. I react viscerally in certain moments to books where I have to change the schedule of my entire day because something will just overpower me and I will just be at a loss yeah. until i handle what i need to do i i've been kind of in this thomas merton world
1: for the last oh, few years yeah. and he's got so much work and it seems like just when i think i'm getting a handle on it something a new collection of letters comes out and uh, he has i not just this is a truth i don't know if i i would even call it like i've brainwashed myself to be honest i've read so much now that I feel like I'm looking through his eyes, which I know that's not the truth, but it's like I'll read a Merton book and then I'll pepper other things in there, but then I'm back in Merton again. And I just, I don't know what's happened, but it definitely has
0: reframed me a little bit. Can can I request a guest for you to interview on your show? Oh yes, please. All right. So check this out. I have Merton is sort of like a blind spot of mine, um, but there is a guy who I had on my show um, to talk about uh, the the mystic GI Gurgiff. Okay. Um, And so there's this guy named Dr. Roger Lipsy, who I had on my show to talk about Gurdjieff, who is this fascinating figure in um, European mysticism. And Lipsy is the biographer of Gurdjieff, but he's also a Merton biographer. Really? Yep. And so Shambhala Publications has a a Merton biography by Roger Lipsy that... I would love to hear you talk to Lipsy about Merton on your show. Oh, man, I'll
1: seek him out because that would be wonderful. That would be one of those things for me, like where I'll go, oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe I'm having this conversation, you know, on the show,
0: (laughs) you know? Yeah. And like and like I I posed the idea of talking to Roger Lipsy about Merton on my show. But like I am so unversed in Merton that like. I feel like I just wasn't really in the in the zone to do it. Um, but since you are currently totally immersed in Merton, you should get his his Merton biography on Shambhala.
1: I will and, check it out. Uh,
0: and I mean, you should totally just write to Shambhala and say, I want to do an episode with Roger Lipsy about Merton. Um, and can you help me schedule it? And. they'll probably say yeah you know what I mean yeah because I'm shocked that there's not
1: more conversations about him I've been scour the uh, the podcast realm looking for conversations and and there's people that touch on him in fact one of my guests uh, Susan Stabile she was a Tibetan Buddhist nun uh, but was raised Catholic and then she left Buddhism after you know 10 or 15 years and then came back to Catholicism and now she does these retreats but she sort of reworked all her meditation practices from the Tibetan practices for her retreat her catholic retreats and uh she had a whole episode of her one of her lectures was about merton which was kind of how i found her actually i was like wow this is a great conversation about merton land on her book she's in you know this sort of hybrid tibetan catholicism situation and i was like boy the world is just a wonderful place how you can just follow these little you know you said that about a tapestry i mean you can just pull a string on these big tapestries within any religion and, and find all this wonder on just one thread I agree. I totally agree. I couldn't
0: say it any better myself.
1: This episode's Fishing for Goodies fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame, because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the Sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the Sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage that's brimstonemuseum.org tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery but you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure you don't have to be guilty like me of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the grove one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest louisiana drop in and say hi to tom for me tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. So look, this is the last part of the show. Uh, okay. This, this I don't know if you can see it, uh, but this is the fishbowl. Can you, are you, Do you, you able to see me? I do not see you. Okay, well, I'm holding up a fish bowl and it's covered in all kinds of stickers, but oh, there's sweet. probably about 400 questions in this bowl, oh, and God. so <laughs> every guest who's come on this show has drawn three questions. We don't know what they are. Ooh, I like this. This is cool. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, man. You never know what you're going to get. Uh-huh. So when I do a call-in uh, guest, I usually draw it for them. So I'm going to draw three random questions out of here.
0: Okay. I'm going to imagine I'm diving in myself. Yeah. I'm doing that in my video. <laughs>
1: Okay, let's see. All right, that's a good question, man. All right, let's just start with the first one. Would you ever steal to provide for your family? Yes. Absolutely?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. If I had to, absolutely. (laughs) And, I mean, I I know that the risk would be um, going to jail, possibly, but I might get away with it. Um, And... I know that that's maybe a problematic answer. These ethical questions are always have so many, so many problems, but I mean, I would, I would do everything I could to not like I would, you know, go up and down my street and I would say like, can I shovel your driveway for $10? Seriously. Like I would, I would do little tiny stuff to avoid it. And I would get as far as I could with, with not stealing. Um, But if it came down to it and I mean, I, I would, totally steal ramen noodles you know yeah yeah so that's a good answer i I, I don't know like I, i know that um i would i know that i would do what i could to not but i also know that i would uh basically in a heartbeat um especially if it was like you know um you know if there's like a billions and billions of dollars conglomerate corporation that uh I would I, I would I would choose wisely who I was stealing from essentially. Yeah,
1: yeah you you I get I get what you're saying, the most ethical way you could.
0: Yeah, like am I am I going to tr- am I going to go and steal from like the uh the independently owned grocery store down the street that like, you know, really every purchase matters. I would do my best to not do that, but if I had to you know, if I had to go through a drive through at McDonald's and I had to peel out and burn rubber with that free Happy Meal, I would do it.
1: <laughs> I think I, I am in alignment with everything you said. I would do the <laughs> same thing. There's no doubt about it. I, I could try to say I wouldn't, but I know I would. I mean, I just well, yeah, when it comes I, to your family, it's just a whole different situation.
0: Yeah. And I have a six year old man. Like, oh, you yeah. You know, I, I would do anything for the six year old. Not like this question.
1: Nobody's ever drawn this question before. All right, bring it on. Who is the very first friend you ever remember making, and how old were you?
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I'm friends with them on Facebook. Oh, wow. Um, cool. Now, and so my very earliest friend was my kindergarten best friend. This is like one that I truly remember, and her name is uh, Trisha, and she lives in Chicago, and we're friends on Facebook, and um, she was – great buddies with me, um, in kindergarten, not beyond kindergarten, because after kindergarten, we went to separate elementary schools, but even to this day, you know, never, every now and then we'll pop onto each other's Facebook feed and be like, Hey, what's up? You know? So, um, that's my, that's, that's my answer. That's
1: a good answer, man.
0: I, uh, I, As I was, I'm listening to you talk about it,
1: I don't even know the answer to this. I was such a loner as a kid. You know, when I was young, I stayed at my grandma's house a lot, and I was by myself. I think I was the only kid in the family. I mean, I have siblings and cousins and all that now, but when I was little – yeah, I was by myself a lot with, you know, my grandmother and my grandfather's house. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess I would have to say it would probably be like a group of people. I can't really remember who my very first best friend is. I wish I could, though. That would be a good thing to have in my memory bank.
0: <laughs> you need to uh, do some research. Ask your uh, ask anybody that remembers you from when you were a kid.
1: Yeah. Like, who, who would that be? Ah, that's yeah, that's interesting, man. I'm glad you have that relationship still. That's awesome. It's a treasure. Let's see. Last question. Okay, what do you think gets better
0: with age? Ooh, oh man, not my back or my knee. <laughs> um, let's see. Better with age. Honestly, I, I think virtually everything. Yeah. Um, if it, this just kind of like all the things that i've said about like my philosophy of life like i'm never bored you know what i yeah. mean um i'm just never bored and so like Things like uh, watching, like so. Buffalo has the most amazing sunsets ever. I appreciate them every day. Um, I learn to cook something new um, as often as I can. Um, I I've been getting back into appreciating music and finding new bands. Yeah. Like so, I mean, I I truly think that almost anything can get better with age. If you are saying, I want my life to get better as I age. Yeah. There you go. You know what yeah. I mean. No, I do. Yeah. that That's a super hard question to answer because like, I'm not really sure that I have like a certain one thing. Um, because we know all the things that get worse as you age. I mean, I, I have no hair. I had back <laughs> surgery. Like my, my, um, you know, paying bills is a real drag. Um, but you know, it, All the little things in life, like, can get better as you age if you are uh, purposely saying, "I want things to get better as I age."
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. That that's a good way to look at it. You can, you can say things have gotten worse. They've just changed. I mean, I have this little. Black strip of paper taped to my computer monitor in my office, and it says "Changes the law," and it's been at every place I've ever worked. There's some comedy in that for me because I, you get a job and you think this is going to be it. I've made it. I've got this oh, job. Man. You know, this I'm, I finally made it. And then you know, however many years pass, you're at another. You've taken a new career or path. You're at a new office, whatever. I've always brought that little strip of paper with me, and it's all old and warm, but it does remind me: changes the law. Change is going to happen again. It's not bad
0: absolutely I totally agree so that's a hard question to answer but it's also kind of a fun one
1: yeah it is so there's one last question man and it's not in the fish bowl okay and then you said you can't see me right I cannot see you okay I don't know why my camera didn't turn on I'm Uh, not really
0: sure either but whatever it is what it is
1: well I can see you so I'm gonna pretend like you can see me there's a a bright yellow coffee mug that we send to all the guests who've been on the show oh sweet on the back side There's a question. It says, did anything good happen today? Today, like exactly today. Today,
0: today. Well, um, I'm writing a I'm writing a religious studies online class right now for high school students, and I found some absolutely impeccable resources for my Taoism lesson. So I am sort of on cloud nine because I feel like I wrote something that will be very, very powerful for young people who take my online class. Oh, wow, man, that's really awesome. Yep. So I have a. am on like sort of like a little professional high today because I feel really good about a few things that I found for (laughs) a lesson that I'm writing. That's exciting. Well, that's what you do. Isn't that exciting when
1: what you do for a living invigorates you?
0: Anything that I that I write for the classes that I write, I mean, it's printed words on the page. And what are printed words on the page? Art. And what is art? Something that exists now that didn't exist before.
1: Yeah, man, it's a treasure, whenever you can do that really is. You know, I, yep. I, see, I see so many people that I, I, I try to be grateful when I can. And, you know, I, I can be ungrateful. I can be ungrateful all the time. I mean, but uh, when I see people who are doing things that make them very, very unhappy, uh, sometimes I go, oh, my little unhappiness is just a matter of perspective. You know, I just need to reframe my view because I'm actually – the things that I do have allowed me to do this, allowed me to have conversations with people like you. I mean, that's a treasure. That's not something that would have had in my life had I not taken the career path I'd taken. You know.
0: Well, and I have no doubt that sometime our paths will cross, and um, you and I will be able to, you know, go out for to eat at your favorite lunch place.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a great thing to look forward to.
0: I I agree. And my wife is a marathon runner and she runs marathons and she wants to run marathons in all fifty states and oh, wow. she has not she has not done Louisiana yet. So, so if you have a marathon your way. <laughs> Yep. If you have a marathon suggestion in Louisiana Well I, I've uh, had
1: guests on the show who do yeah. that and I can definitely uh get you some links to stuff like that and let her start making a plan. <laughs> Spectacular. That sounds awesome. So look for the people listening, you know, I'll put links in the show notes, but just uh anything anything you want to share with them about your show and how to connect with you or how you prefer that to happen
0: the thing is about my show is that if you reach out to me and you want to know where you should start i will totally converse with you so if you follow me on twitter it's at classical underscore ideas or you can write to me on facebook at uh the classic at classical at facebook.com slash classical ideas podcast um I am, you know, super excited to talk to anybody who wants to talk about the show. Um, Just let me know uh, what I can do to tailor your listening experience, and I will be as helpful as I possibly can in, uh, you know, helping you enjoy the show and find something that interests you. Greg, thank you so much for agreeing to do this and for
1: taking the time to do it, honestly. I know you got a lot going on, but uh, as a fan of the show, it's been just sort of surreal to get to
0: talk to you if in person, that, sort of, yeah, sort of in person. <laughs> it's, it's, it is absolutely my pleasure. Um, and I'm happy that you invited me and this has been such a wild week. Uh, I was just in Brazil, which we didn't even talk yeah, about. we didn't even talk um, about that. That's right. But it's been, it's been madness. So, uh, I am really, uh, just doing my best to have a cool life, um, and do things that are interesting and don't bore me. Um, and so to get to talk about it with you today has been just a real pleasure as well.
1: All right friends, so check him out. Greg Soden Classical Ideas podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I love you just- Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Greg Soden. If you found something of use in this conversation, consider helping me spread the good news by supporting Find the Good News at patreon.com slash find the good news. I thank you for pressing play and for supporting good news.